This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 30, Writing Action. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're getting shot at. <laughs> I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And joining us here at Life, the Universe, and Everything, we have... Larry Korea. And Rob Wells. Excellent. We are here at Life, the Universe, and Everything at Brigham Young University with a live audience full of highly attractive people. Let's hear, make some noise. All right. We have with us, as we said, Larry Correa and Rob Wells. Why don't you two introduce yourselves real quick? Tell us why people should care that you're on our podcast. Because we do. Okay. Um, I'm Larry Correa. I'm the uh, New York Times bestselling novelist, uh, author of the Monster Hunter International series by Bay and Books. Uh, the Grim Noir Chronicles, uh, Hard Magic is the first book, which will probably be coming out about the time this airs, and um, four books this year and many more coming. And uh, I am Rob Wells, it's Robison Wells, um, and uh, I have uh, published three books uh, in a regional market, and then I also uh, have a three-book deal upcoming with uh, Harper Teen, YA Dystopian. Coming out this September, Coming correct? out October 18th, and it's October. available for pre-order on Amazon. Go there now. And the title? We will wait. The title, the title is? I'm sorry, the title is Variant. Variant. It's very good. I have read it and marked all the errors in it and ran out of pens. Yeah. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Every time you lose a pen, it's because Rob has written something horrible. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk about writing action because we have can, can some. I interrupt for just a moment? Oh, for crying! There, out there has been a, a long-running uh, joke amongst Dan's friends. Let, let's preface this by saying, for anyone who doesn't know, Rob is my younger brother, younger and better looking. And uh, <laughs> there's been a, a long-running joke uh, where Brandon Sanderson, uh, in case you guys don't know who Brandon is. Um, <laughs> Uh, suggested that he ought to register the domain uh, the talented Wells brother dot com dot com. Uh, I want him to know I did that about three months ago, and I own it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's a fan site dedicated to me. Okay, we're going to talk about writing action. Okay, and we are going to start with Larry because Larry, you at this very conference taught a whole class on how to write action. So start us off. Where do we start? What do we talk about? Um, action is extremely important, especially if you're writing genre fiction. It's kind of a staple of the uh, of the game. If you're writing adventure, you're writing fantasy, you're writing sci-fi, the fans expect action, and it needs to be good if you're going to do it. And there's a lot of really badly written action out there in, in genre fiction. There is a lot of badly written action. You can kind of tell when you get to, you know, the, the, the books that have done it wrong, it feels like someone was trying to write a storyboard for a movie instead of trying to actually entertain you with a novel. I call that the dreaded checklist. And this is really, uh, really obvious when you're writing in the first person. And it's, I did this, I did that, I dodged left, I dodged right, I punched, I do you know. And it's just a gigantic list of boredom. Okay, well, so how do you do it right? You need to mix it up. Um, if you're writing in first person, remember, you don't have to put everything through that narrator's eyes. So you don't have to say, I saw an explosion. There can just be an explosion. So that's a, I, I like that. I like and the there should be an explosion. Oh, oh, my rule on explosions is every 40 pages. Okay, at least. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, um, earlier, I was here while you guys recorded a, uh, a podcast about editing. I have my explosion count. 
<laughs> I don't doubt that. Howard, you have a lot of action in schlock. How do, how do you go about uh, writing that? Um, I, I try and write it so that I have to draw as few elephants as possible. <laughs> and every so often my writing chops just let me down completely. And all of a sudden I've got six elephants fighting on one page. <laughs> Such an idiot. Um, and, we, and we love you for that. Uh, the elephant. I, I'm an unknowing, unwitting subscriber to the scene sequel format. Um, something needs to happen, and then we need to stop and pause and think about it. Then something else needs to happen, and then we need to stop and pause and think about it. Um, and, and so what I do is uh, exactly that. If I find that the pacing in the comic is a little bit slow, that's because the sequel has run on a little too long, and it's time for something to blow up. Uh, the nice thing about the format I'm working in is that uh, I've got enough characters on the page that I can switch POVs and do something interesting. And I'm discovery writing, and hopefully you can't tell when I've suddenly decided I'm bored and I needed to blow something up. Hopefully, hopefully from, from your point of view, it seems very natural. Um, but I recognize, you know, what Larry said, uh, you got to stay away from the, you know, left, left, right, right, up, down, up, down, A, B. <laughs> Your action scene should read like action, not like a cheat code for the NES. <laughs> now, Rob, having read your book, which I actually did very much like, despite my jokes earlier, uh, you, you have several scenes of action, several battle scenes in there. How did you uh, go about writing those? What was your secret? Uh, my secret, if I had a secret, uh, two things. Uh, first one is that all of the action uh, that I included in the books had meaning. Um, none of the characters in my books were, like, professional fighters or anything like that. And so I didn't, I, I mean, I was very much trying to be realistic in that, uh, I mean, fights wouldn't go on long at all. Uh, I, um, they would end quickly. But, but the plot, or the action would have meaning. Uh, it would be part of the plot. Whatever was going on would be part of the plot. It wouldn't be a fight just to have a fight. Um, and then the second thing, uh, is that I treated it more, and I think that if there was more fighting, this wouldn't work as well, but I, I mostly just blocked out the fights. I wouldn't describe uh, he punched, I punched, like, like you're talking about with the list. It was more, I went over here, uh, we did this, I went over here, we did this. Um, so it's more telling a, a, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's more just, like I said, it, it's plot. It's not describing blow by blow. Mm -hmm. well, one, of the things that, one of the things that I do is I look for I look for those moments that are going to be iconic. I look for those moments that are going to be really cool to draw, or you know, if I was just doing prose, those moments that are going to be really fun for you to imagine based on the, the words that have been written on the page. I look for those, and then I try to find ways to justify them through the course of the, through the, course of the combat, through the course of the story. I try and make sure that the setup is all there. Uh, an example that I used uh, in a discussion yesterday was uh, there's this moment in, uh, it's not from my own work, an example from someone else's, there's a moment in the Mistborn novels where a you know, five-foot-tall girl leaps thousands of yards through the air with a sharpened surfboard-sized <laughs> sword and cleaves an enemy in half. And you know that moment, when it happened, was perfectly set up by the whole rest of the book. And that's why that action scene worked so well. We look at it and we say, oh, that was so awesome. I could totally see that in a movie. And of course, they'd totally screw it up because they wouldn't <laughs> give you all of the things that led up to it working. But uh, I don't know if that was Brandon's process. But if you start with, I want to have a tiny girl wielding a sharpened surfboard against giant enemies. And I want her to jump 
know, a mile through the sky in order to do this. Um, all right, what do I need to do in order to set up this action scene so that that seems, wait for it, natural? <laughs> <laughs> not, just, not just the scene, but the entire trilogy, I think. He invented his magic system specifically for that sword cleaving moment. <laughs> no, and, um, and it was all worth it. It, it totally was. Uh, what I do, having got my start in horror um, and now I expanding out into doing some other things, I'm writing a science fiction book now, the more I do action, I, it always ends up being very personal and visceral and confusing. And I, I like that. And I actually see a lot of that in, in Larry's action as well where you know something will happen and bullets are flying and the main character doesn't necessarily know which gun they came out of or where they're headed you just sees the wall exploding and and hears gunshots going off and uh you know really getting into that that main character you know they are scared their heart is racing they are slipping on rubble you know getting down into that gritty detail uh one of my very favorite uh, war movies is Apocalypse Now and that removes all of the glory from the combat because you never know what's going on. You're just as confused as the soldiers are and you're terrified and that gives the action a very different flavor and, and so that's kind of what I try to reproduce when I write. I Let's take just a moment to uh, plug our book of the week. Our book of the week this week is Monster Hunter International by Larry Correa. I loved this book but then I love books in which uh, mercenaries get to hunt monsters with great big guns. And sometimes the monsters are the ones with the great big guns. Um, the vampires in this book are not brooding, romantic uh, people hiding out at a high school. They're monsters that want to eat your face. Uh, Monster Hunter International is available at audible.com. You can get a free membership at audiblepodcast.com excuse read or rather listen to Monster Hunter International for free or listen to any other of the wonderful books that uh, Audible has online. And we're back. Now I want to say something about this that, uh, that Dan just talked about with the, the confusion. Show of hands, and for those of you not benefiting from the video I'll count hands, show of hands, how many of you have been in an automobile accident before? That's a freaking That's lot of pretty much hands. almost wow. everybody. Do okay. not drive in Provo. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh yeah, lightning, lightning never strikes, strikes twice, but you people are a menace. Uh, okay, so if you've ever been in a car accident, now ask yourself, during this car accident, were you thinking about what your automobile was made of? You know, is this bumper fiberglass or is it polymer? Is uh, How fast are the vehicles moving? Um, I mean, were you thinking about these things? What would the answer is supposed to be no. Um, now, if you're, if you're Tom Clancy, and you're writing, you know, kind of an omniscient point of view, then what you're going to say is uh, the tensile strength of fiberglass is, and then you're going to describe the car shattering, all right? Um, but if you're Dan Wells or Larry Correa, um, you're going to talk about this visceral experience of, and all of a sudden I was on my side and I didn't know why, and there's this horrible noise and I realize there's a pickup truck on top of me. Um, and, you know, and then I'm upside down, and I don't know if you've ever been in a car rollover, but, uh... uh on, uh, what Howard said there, one of the things I like to do is I like to try to kind of filter the sequence through whoever the point of view character is. Because if you've got a character that's a kind of a cold-blooded killer, and that's your character set up, and he's 
you know, he shoots people like eating breakfast. It's going to be a little different than your action sequences, your average person who, when they get in a fight, looks like a flailing slap fest. Okay, the emotions are going to be a little different. If you're my ears are burning. Yeah. <laughs> well, for example, I, I, I use an example once. If uh, if you're in a fist fight with the average person, what's going through their head is, oh, my hair, ow, my eye, oh, that's what's going through your head. Now, if you're fighting Chuck Liddell, it's going to be, wow, oh, I'm just beating this guy. Wow, this is pleasant. What are we going to have for lunch today? You know, I like butterflies. Butterflies are pretty. There's a scene. There, uh, there's a scene in Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson in which the main character uh, has teamed up at least for a short time with uh, a couple of people, one of whom is a sniper. And there is a speedboat full of armed men coming at them. And the sniper is, you know, talking to the guys as you're looking at things through the scope. I love that action scene because it reads something like, yep, speedboat, five guys, crack, four guys, crack, three guys, boat's turning around, crack, boat's on fire, one guy's jumped out, crack, boom. All right, I think we're done. <laughs> it's a brilliant scene, and you, you as you're imagining, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy, I want him to be on my team when I'm playing Fallout. Yeah, you, you, you can develop characters in an action sequence. You can develop plot in an action sequence. It's not, you know, character, plot, character, plot, action. It's all kind of together. Now, uh, we, we've already kind of mocked Tom Clancy a little bit, but uh, one of my favorite action scenes is from Patriot Games where uh, the counter-terrorist unit arrives at a house on the edge of a cliff and it's the middle of the night and he has not yet received orders of who he's supposed to shoot or when. And so there's a fight going on inside the house and he can see it through the windows and he can see people with guns and he doesn't know if he's allowed to shoot at them yet. And it makes it very tense and he's kind of describing the action from the third person and how he would, you know, I, I could take that guy out, Am I? can I? No, not yet. And. Uh, you know, again, filtering that action sequence through a unique character voice and situation. Rob, you haven't said anything in a while. I haven't said anything in a while. Um, one point uh, that kind of uh, is a, a counterexample to all of these. Um, like I said, uh, in my book, uh, the characters are, uh, well, it's YA, they're teenagers. And, uh, and even though some of them are kind of gang member guys, they're all, I mean, no one has been trained in anything. And I think that there are, I mean, I would say more common than not, when there's action in books, it is usually, I mean, it's the, the fish out of the water. It's, it's the kind of ordinary person thrust into extraordinary circumstances. And, uh, and I think that you have to, to treat it plausibly in that, um, well, there definitely are characters who are these military guys who, who, who know exactly what they're doing. Um, a lot of the time, uh, you don't. You're not prepared for it. Uh, you don't have uh, names for the moves that you're using. You're, you're, uh, it is a lot of a slap fight, and, and I think that you can write a very plausible, uh, very frightening slap fight if you're the one who's getting the crap beat out of you, uh, <laughs> or if you are in a fight for your life and you don't know how to fight. I, I think that all of these are, are, are fun ways to write uh, and from a very different point of view than, than someone who really knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite action scenes, favorite fight scenes in a book is Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry where basically the, the Department of Military Sciences has pulled all of the biggest, toughest dudes that they can from the various branches of the military. They get them together and they put them in a room and say, okay, which one is in charge? And one guy looks around and says, okay, I'm in charge, and proceeds to beat up everybody else in about two seconds and just drops them all uh, to the floor. It's fantastic. So go read that. <laughs> 
Um, I've just, I, I know I was looking at Howard's timer here in 15 minutes. Yeah, we got a minute left. Okay, it goes oh. pretty quick. Uh, one thing I really recommend because uh, a lot of people hesitate to write action because you, you know, you, that old rule about write what you know, but nobody here has ever sword fought a dragon. Okay, so don't let that hold Speak you back. Speak yourself, Larry. Well, okay, there was that one time Dan did that, but I mean, it wasn't a very big dragon. <laughs> to be honest, that was true. my dog. <laughs> well, you shouldn't name your dog Dragon. <laughs> if I can add something to what Larry's saying, I don't know if I'm interrupting you because everyone else was too. But uh, go ahead. <laughs> but but the way that I, I write uh, the first draft always is uh, I will put the characters into a situation. Uh, where the action ensues, and they will just have to figure it out as they're in it. And uh, I don't, I don't like to block things out, uh, plan out the fight ahead of time. Uh, and I think that it adds more of a a, a scrambling, uh, unknown element. And again, this is coming from uh, the point of view of a character who doesn't know what he's doing. But but just write it, dive in, don't plan it, figure it out as you go. Uh, and uh, yeah, there you go. And with regard to write what you know. Um... You, I come under fire sometimes for uh, having characters behave a little more competently than they should. And perhaps that grew out of the fact that the very first time I ever took my wife shooting, which was the very first time that she had ever fired a weapon, we were shooting at little uh, tomato sauce cans full of water, and, I, and she was using uh, Iron Sights 22. Any of you not know what that is, I'm not going to bother explaining. <laughs> She's using an old Iron Sight 22. And I'm explaining to her that the sweet spot on this can is about half an inch from the bottom, uh, dead in the center, and if you hit it in the sweet spot, you'll know what happens. Two shots later, the can leaps up in the air about four feet, and a column of water shoots about ten feet up in the air, and she goes, oh my gosh, I did it. This is so much fun. And she proceeded for the next ten minutes to murder tomato sauce cans. <laughs> okay? Um, and she'd never had any experience with firearms before. We, I mean, we spent 10 or 15 minutes training on it. Um, that's not unbelievable for me because I've seen it. I've seen it about 3,000 times. <laughs> you know, and it helps to have, and, and the odds are good that no matter where you live, if you live in America, you know someone who owns a gun. Uh, and so you can go out and you can talk to people. You can find people. I know Larry, and so when I was writing a fight scene in a recent book, I sent him an email and said, you know, I need to know some stuff about guns. Here's the basic description of the character and situation. What, tell me what kind of guns they'd be using and what kind of tactics they'd use. And he sent me back like a 10-page description <laughs> of all the stuff. And it's great. There are resources you can draw on to get this kind of information. Well, we are out of time, and so we're going to turn to Mr. Korea for a hopefully action-packed, violence-laden bullets flying uh, writing prompt. Maybe that's not what you had in mind. Go. I want you to write an action sequence that you can title Flailing Slap Fight. <laughs> <laughs> so I appear to have been wrong. Well, you can have guns in your Flailing Slap Fight. <laughs> All right, you are out of excuses. Quickly. <laughs> now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.